It is time for another episode of A Call Away, the podcast that takes a look into the New York Yankees minor league system with an extra special focus on the top level here in AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. I'm Adam Giardino, broadcaster for the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, and this week we've got a couple of interesting conversations for you. J.P. Fireisen, right-handed reliever who was acquired in the deal for Andrew Miller a few years back. He was in the Cleveland Indians organization and came over along with Justice Sheffield, Clint Frazier and Ben Heller as part of the four pieces that the Yankees netted in exchange for Miller. We've also got Baseball America's Josh Norris, and it's a bit of a lengthier conversation, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 13 minutes with Josh. He has seen all of the Yankees affiliates this season and has a lot of interesting insight, including having seen the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders just a couple of weeks back when they were down in Durham taking on the Durham Bulls. Baseball America is based out of Durham, North Carolina, and so is Josh. Otherwise, we welcome Adam Marco, the voice of the Rail Riders, into the podcast. He talks Logan Morrison. He talks some Clint Frazier. And we also bring you the highlights from this past week, which included an Aaron Judge home run and a play that went viral. I am sure if you're plugged into this podcast, you're plugged into baseball on the internet. And Bravig Valera with what was... A walk-off inside the park home run, but it was Anderson Feliz flipping the ball up into the crowd that helped win the game in extra innings for scranton Wilkesbury, And we'll get you the minor league reports as well. Down on the farm, we've got reports from all four systems this week, starting in single A with Matt Dean and the Charleston River Dogs, Nick Flamia with High A Tampa, John Moses and Double A Trenton, and our very own Adam Marco here in Triple A. We'll take a look at the highlights and how this week broke down, and it was a week in which the Rail Riders played six games and came away with five wins. A pretty successful homestand for Scranton Wilkesbury, and on Tuesday night it began with 10,000 fans in attendance at PNC Field. A perfect sellout on a perfect night for baseball, and the Rail Riders couldn't have gotten out to a much better start. Mike Ford homered to begin the game, then Aaron Judge walked. Bravik Valero singled, then Mike Talkman homer. Kyle Higashioka, homer. First five batters reached and scored, including three first-inning home runs. But the Rail Riders, they saved the biggest swing for later on in the day. And with a 6-3 lead, the man leading off the bottom of the fifth inning was Aaron Judge. The 0-1 to Judge. And this is crushed to right field. All rise. Aaron Judge in his fourth rehab game. It's his first home run for Scranton Wilkesbury. And somewhere in the range of, I'll guess, 8,000 plus are happy that they made it out on a Tuesday night for an Aaron Judge solo home run. Judge clobbered it, and absolutely, that's what the 10,000 fans in attendance all came out to the ballpark to see that night, part of an 8-4 win for Scranton Wilkesbury. So that was exciting. The next night, more exciting. You could argue no home run from Aaron Judge, though he was still in the lineup for the Rail Riders. And the Rail Riders trailed 5-2 going into the bottom of the eighth inning. Ryan McBroom homered. That helped spark the comeback. And then it was Tyler Wade's one-out, two-run double in the ninth that tied the game at five. After Norfolk scored a run in the top of the tenth inning to take the lead, the Rail Riders had a runner at second with one away. And with the tying run at second base, Bravik Valera was up as the winning run, and it was right fielder Anderson Feliz who lost track of the situation. Here's the 1-0 to Valera. 
Line drive down to the right field corner. Long run. This drops fair. And goes Kate Cato will score. Anderson Feliz is just jogging to the ball. And Valera is still running. Valera round second, rounds third. Bravik coming home. And the Rail Riders win. Anderson Feliz thought the ball game was over. He picked it up off the warning track, throws it into the stands, and Scranton Wilkesbury wins. Coteau was gonna score. Valera was gonna get to second with the double. Instead, he comes all the way around and Scranton Wilkesbury wins it seven to six. That was the moment that went viral and Scranton Wilkesbury came away with the seven six victory. The next day, the Rail Riders needed another late comeback. They trailed 7-3 going into the bottom of the eighth inning, and they still trailed 7-6 with a runner aboard in that eighth frame when the hero from the night before, Bravik Valera, came to bat again. Rail Riders with four singles in the frame. The 1-0. Valera crushes it! And this game has flipped the script. The Rail Riders now lead it 8-7. A day after Bravik Valera was the walk-off hero, he plays the same role, but in the eighth inning, Scranton Wilkesbury all the way back, plus one. He's the hero two nights in a row. The Rail Riders polish off a clean sweep of the Norfolk Tides. The next night, Durham came to town, and they got the series opener 6-2 over Scranton Wilkesbury. So we jump ahead to Saturday, and the Rail Riders and Durham Bulls locked horns into the bottom of the eighth inning, tied at three, and even two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning. Nothing going for the Rail Riders when Ryan McBroom came to bat. 1-1 to McBroom, the pitch, swing, and a fly ball, left center field. This is hit well. Velasquez goes back. He looks up. It's gone. With two down in the bottom of the eighth, Ryan McBroom crushes one, and he puts Scranton Wilkes-Barre ahead 4-3. That was the go-ahead game-winning home run on Saturday for a 4-3 Rail Riders win, and the following day, Scranton Wilkes-Barre came away with an 11-4 victory over Durham, taking two of three from the team with the best record in the International League, and as mentioned, taking five of six on the homestand. In that 11-4 victory, J.P. Fireisen came out of the pen, and he recorded the final three outs in order, that included a strikeout, and the numbers keep getting better for Fire Eyes in this season. And so we sat down with JP earlier this week to chat with a guy who's not on the 40-man roster, but whose performance this season seems to be knocking down the door of the big leagues. Just the fact this year my arm's healthy, I feel really good, and my body's feeling really good. And then just having three pitches to use, having a fastball to attack guys with, and then a changeup and a breaking ball to put them away with. Are you using your changeup and breaking ball any differently this year, or have you worked on specifically developing one of those two during the offseason? With my changeup and my breaking ball, they were kind of just subpar pitches for me last year. This year I've been able to use them in counts where I've been behind to get back into counts, and and then uh, use them also when I'm getting ahead of guys to put them away with. Here with J.P. in a couple of years ago, obviously, for fans who might not know, came over in the trade from the Cleveland Indians for Andrew Miller. Let me have a little perspective on that with it being a couple of years in the rearview mirror. What do you remember about that and what was your reaction then and, and kind of what has that meant in terms of the development of your career? When it happened, it was a, a big shock. Uh, I didn't think I was really going to be involved in any trades. Yeah, and then just coming over here, getting to work with different pitching coaches and, and also being around, I mean, like guys like CeCe, 
and spring training and, and kind of learning from those guys. It's been really awesome. And then also having, obviously, Hall of Famers around like uh, Reggie Jackson is, is just pretty crazy because with the Indians, you didn't see that as much. And obviously with the iconic franchise of like the Yankees, you, you get to be around those guys more. You know, it seems like we talk to a lot of guys and they'll say about CC during spring training working with a lot of the minor leaguers. What is it that he does with you guys that makes him stand out versus some other guys? I mean, if you just watch him go through his preparation and all the stuff that he does to, to get ready to go on the mound, but also when you have a conversation with him, he, he makes you feel like you're equal to him when, when he's got 17, 18 years in the big leagues and probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he, he makes you feel like you belong there with him. And, I mean, if you have questions for him, he, he has something, some sort of answer or has some sort of guidance for you. So it's, it's really awesome. Also now working a couple of years with Tommy Phelps, what has he meant in terms of your development here in Scranton over the last few years? Tommy and I have been good. It's, uh, it's been good. We, we've been working on my breaking ball quite a bit together, finally getting it down, and, and it's taken a little bit of work. But it's good because Tommy knows how to spin the ball. Um, that's how he, what he was good at in his career. So it, uh, helping me out, uh, learning how to spin it myself, and then just mentality-wise, making sure I keep attacking hitters the way I should. Here with J.P. Fireisen, Rail Riders relief pitcher. I want to flash you back again a couple of years. You went to a small school, Wisconsin-Stevens Point, Division Three. were drafted out of there. What was that experience like playing at, you know, maybe not a major baseball school on a national level, still a good program, but how did that maybe impact your career, especially early on and prepare you for what's been a, a pretty good pro career? I think it just prepared me mentally that as a team in D3, you're, you're, you're not really looking to move on and play pro ball. So when you're playing as a team and, and winning every day, that's kind of your focus and you don't really care about your, your personal self and your personal numbers. So um, as far as bringing it to pro ball, it's, it's just kind of the same thing. You, you got to just enjoy the game of baseball. And, and we're here a lot. I mean, we're, we have 140 games this year. You're here with these guys every day, and, and I think that just having that winning mentality makes it more fun every day to come to the ballpark and want to win the ball game. We see your family a lot kind of on social media interacting, and, and obviously we know that they're very supportive. What has that meant to you in your career and, and in your life in general just outside of baseball? I mean, it's it's amazing. My grandma watches every single game, so and I get a text from her every time I, I go in the game, and whether I do good or bad, she always says she loves me, so... I'm very lucky. I mean, my mom's one of seven, and I know they're all watching the games as well, and then my dad's one of five, so we have a really big family. But, yeah, it's, I'm just really lucky, and after every outing I have texts from my family and telling me that I love, they love me no matter what I do. So it's just nice to know that uh, outside of baseball you have something to bounce back on and, and enjoy. What would making the major leagues mean to you? I mean, it's obviously a, a goal ever since you are a little kid, and it would mean everything to me. I mean, it, it's not as much as family and, and doing stuff for them, but, but making the major leagues would be amazing. Back inside a call away, Adam Giardino with you, and it is time for broadcast banter. Boy, we just heard from J.P. Fireisen, relief pitcher for the Rail Riders. He's been so good this season, and... Well, we also heard a lot of highlights from the past week, which included some Logan Morrison home runs. We'll talk about Lomo in what might be his final week with Scranton Wilkesbury, and we'll talk about a guy in his first week with Scranton Wilkesbury, and outfielder Clint Frazier. We welcome the voice of the Rail Riders, Adam Marco, back into broadcast banter. How you doing? Fantastic. How are you today? Uh, pretty good. Good. Yeah, not as good as Logan Morrison's been, but uh, good nonetheless. 
I guess we'll start on the other side of that coin, and that would be outfielder Clint Frazier, who Yankee fans would know, disappointed to come back down. I think he handled publicly that demotion pretty well in terms of what that looked like in front of the media after he got that news from Aaron Boone. Not terribly unsurprising when Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge both get added back to the 25-man roster, but uh, disappointing nonetheless, and we've gotten to see Clint at this point for a few games. So what is your first blush impression with how things have gone with Clint? I was around him in the clubhouse whenever he had his first media session, the first day he was in town and on the roster for Scranton Wilkesbury, and I thought his answers were very thought out. It was disappointment, as you would anticipate anyone in that scenario would showcase, but I'm not going to quite suggest he's come to terms with it yet, but I think he's got at least a little bit more perspective on it that... You look at the injuries, you look what happened, and he knows that there's very little that he did wrong. Some people could pinpoint any one game or any one aspect of what he was doing, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. You know, the defense might have been a struggle for a few days. I think it was blown out of proportion while it happened because it was on a nationally televised game that it occurred. But you look at the body of work this season – And it's one of those guys you just can't seem to find much fault with what he did while he was on the Yankees roster. So hopefully he comes back. He keeps that perspective. The numbers for the first few days haven't been great. And maybe that's where the adjustment period is coming back for him, that it's not off the field. It's transpiring in the game. But he's a guy that we've seen a few times over the years. And you know he will start to perform he will be a guy that you can count on in this lineup for as long as we have him you have to just hope that it doesn't take too much longer for a team that's trying to stay in a playoff chase yes it's june i don't want to overestimate it and overstate it right now but if he's going to be in the lineup every day he needs to produce to prove to new york he deserves to go back so hopefully that's the case. Hopefully Frazier takes that off-field attitude, which I think has been very good since coming down, and it translates to good things on the field. We won't linger on Clint Frazier and all of that surrounding him for, for too much longer because, like you said, it really is something that's out of his control. There's not much he can do when you've got a healthy Aaron Hicks, Brett Gardner, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. That's a pretty formidable quartet ahead of you to try and break through on the old depth chart. And Frazier, 3-for-22 over his first five games here, though he had a titanic home run here at PNC Field. So certainly for uh, for Frazier, there have been some bright spots along the way, despite the batting average being a touch lower through five games of small sample size. Another guy whose small sample size lately has looked so good has been first baseman Logan Morrison. July 1st seems to be the target date for him in terms of an opt-out and when he can look beyond the New York Yankees organization. If you are a talent evaluator for another team, and there's no guarantee that he's going to take this July 1st opt-out, though it does seem like he's indicated that it's certainly on the forefront of his mind. But if you are a major league team talent evaluator, what are you seeing right now from Logan Morrison in terms of a guy that you want to give a 25-man roster spot to? I'm seeing that he's not a minor leaguer. That is for certain. He has shown a lot this season and maybe there's the numbers the home runs the power the rbis that's something that's been fairly consistent throughout his career last year he struggled 
batting average and a couple of other things. And maybe it's AAA pitching. Maybe it's guys that don't know how to locate as well as major leaguers tend to do. And Logan Morrison has certainly punished the baseball, especially at PNC Field. He's been a fairly consummate professional this entire time with Scranton Wilkesbury going about his business. And when it comes to getting into a game and knowing that you need something from Morrison in any situation, I feel like he's been a guy that you could count on in virtually every at-bat he's had, that something good is going to come out of it, no matter what pitch was thrown to him or how defense has played him. Adam Marco, the voice of the Rail Riders, has been our guest here on a brief version of Broadcast Banter. We'll talk to you again next week. I hope you don't mind. We've got a guy that has more baseball New York Yankees minor league knowledge, I think, than either of us coming on the the old podcast in Josh Norris. So we're going to hop into what's a pretty long conversation with him, unless I don't think you've seen Charleston, Tampa, and Trenton in person this year, have you? Not this year, no, but I've heard good things. We've got plenty of good things coming up from Josh. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds great. We've got that conversation coming up for you right now. Josh Norris, associate editor for Baseball America. He focuses on a bunch of different systems, with the New York Yankees being one of them. He has six years with BA. He has six additional years with the Trentonian as the beat writer for the Trenton Thunder up in Trenton, New Jersey. And so, Josh, not only all of that, but Baseball America is based out of Durham, North Carolina. So he was in the neighborhood when Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton were in the lineup for Scranton Wilkes-Barre. He got to see Brendan McKay as well. And that's the top pitching prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays system. Real Riders faced him twice in a matter of a week. He was the former number four overall pick out of Louisville by Tampa Bay. We've got a lot to cover. He talks about, again, his time watching in-person the Trenton Thunder, the Tampa Tarpons, the Charleston River Dogs. And so, without further ado, we bring in Josh Norris by phone, and Josh talks about what he got to see in person down at Durham Bulls Athletic Park just over a week ago. Stanton and Judge were part of the attraction, but it was mostly because I wanted to see how Brendan McKay, the Durham pitcher, one of the best pitching prospects in the minor leagues, would do against those guys. Whether he would, you know, his stuff would play against, you know, $350 million or whatever it is of of Slugger, and it turned out it played pretty well. Even though on a day when command-oriented starter didn't have the best command of his career, especially arm side with fastballs, he was able to get plenty of swings and misses on those guys. He got them to wave over curveballs. He got them to look at curveballs for strike three. He struck about three times in four plate appearances. So I'd say he did pretty well against that in a, in a game where he was really amped up to start and you know see how his stuff played against probably the best players he's going to face all year until he gets to the major leagues. Tonight, it's game one of this series. We're expecting to see McKay tomorrow, game two. Whether there's an opener thrown in front of him or not, that still remains to be seen. But you got to see five innings, seven strikeouts from McKay. Obviously, the whole Durham Bulls staff shut down the Rail Riders that day. They were held to a season-low two hits in that ball game. McKay's numbers are really, really impressive on the pitching side. What do you see from him in terms of, from that start that you got to see, what do you project him into the big leagues as? Well, I, I don't do projecting myself, but I will tell you, everyone to a man has told me he's a number two starter in the big leagues. Wow. I've heard that number a lot. You know, you can see it. I, I just, you know, wrote a story about him, Mackenzie Gore, Casey Mize, and Nate Pearson about how they're the, the part of the next wave of pitching to come to the majors. And, you know, the thing about McKay is he doesn't have a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. He doesn't have a 70-grade breaking ball. He doesn't have any one knockout pitch. But what he has is a group of fives and sixes that will set you down just the same. He's going to strike out his fair share, guys. He's going to command all quadrants 
plays on, and he's going to get a lot of outs. He's big, he's poised, he's athletic, he's very even keel on the mound. He's not going to you know, pump his fist after strikeouts or make a big show of anything. He's just going to get you out, period. My first two questions as we bring you in as the Yankees expert have been about Brendan McKay. And I'm going to ask you a third question just to wrap things up on him. He was taken fourth overall out of Louisville a few years back. Really as a two-way player, he had 18 home runs his final year with the Cardinals. Where are you hearing that part of his game might go the closer he gets to the big leagues as a pitcher? He'll get some time there because the Rays are mega creative. I'm sure he'll get plenty of time to, to, to hit. It's nowhere near the quality of his pitching game. He's got some pop. He's had a few home runs here. But, you know, scouts say that, you know, it's, it's nowhere near. If he's, if he's a hitter, he's not a prospect. But he's a pitcher, and he's going to be very, very good. And I'm sure they'll throw him a DH every now and then, maybe be flexible with him so they can move him back in from first base to have him pitch and then move back to first base as matchups dictate. It should be very fun to see how they deploy him. We're here with Josh Norris, associate editor for Baseball America, who's been able to bear down on the New York Yankees over the last six years with BA and then six years before that working for a newspaper in Trenton, New Jersey. We've got a guy down in Trenton, New Jersey, a pitcher for the Trenton Thunder we want to ask you about. But before we switch over to that, I want to just ask you on, obviously, Aaron Judd, Giancarlo Stanton. Those were two of the guys in the lineup for the the Rail Riders that day down in Durham. Did anybody jump out to you from this group here in Scranton this year? I mean, I really only saw the one game, yeah. um, and I wasn't really bearing down on them. But Raynal Espinal, there was something about his fastball I thought was really sneaky. Like he wasn't, you know, jumping up at 97, 98, but at 93, 94, I, I believe that's what he was throwing, it was getting swings and misses. I think I saw it probably his best start of the year. I know they've liked him in the past, but he was he was sneaky effective that day. It's really the only guy I saw that day that really, uh, yep. you know, really impressed me. But... As we continue our conversation, you'll find that they have plenty of young pitching, but it's mostly concentrated below AAA at this point. All right. Well, let's let's head below AAA. You are going to be heading to Charleston shortly from when we record this just to start taking a peek down in single A. But I do know that you have made a trip, a very specific trip to Trenton, New Jersey, back to your old stomping grounds to see a guy that really set the baseball world on fire a few days back with 15 strikeouts over six innings. Davey Garcia, 20-year-old arm in double-A right now. You got to see him pitch. I don't know if it was his best start, the game that you saw, but what did you see from him that day? So I've made two trips to Trenton. Okay. Um, I saw him, uh, went to see Trenton. I saw Davey and Abreu in Richmond toward the beginning of May. And I don't think I saw either of them at their best, but you could see flashes. And there's going to be a lot of hype thrown around there about Davey as Pedro Martinez and all that thing because he's a smaller right-hander with a, you know, a streak about him who strikes a, lot, strikes a lot of guys out. He's not Pedro Martinez, but he is very, very good. He's got a low, low to mid-90s fastball that moves pretty well. He's got a wipeout curveball. He's got a changeup that could be plus, and he's added a slider since I saw him last that he's given him another wrinkle in his game. He is one of four pitchers in the minor leagues who has 100 strikeouts. He's got one of the highest swing strike rates in the Yankees system. I still love the nugget that he, in less than 290 days, he clinched the division twice for the Trenton Thunder <laughs> because they moved from a full-season schedule to a half-season schedule, and they just happened to be able to clinch that night. And in those two starts, he struck out 22 in 11 innings, given up one hit, and I think walked two all shutout innings. So, and he's just 20 years old. 
So he's he's clearly the top arm in their system right now. There was a little bit of skepticism on him coming into the year, based primarily on his size and durability. But I think he's blown past any of those concerns this year and could be poised to jump way up the top 100 later in the year. And I don't think we'll see him in the big leagues, but it's not out of the question. When you talk about a bit of an undersized right-hander, especially recency for the New York Yankees, I'm thinking Luis Severino. Is that not an apt comparison? What are you hearing versus maybe what you heard about Severino when he's coming up that makes you think things could be a little different for those two? Well, I don't think they're necessarily the same kind of body. Severino, I think if you stood them next to each other, is a little taller. He's definitely a little thicker. There was durability concerns with Severino, but he ends this year they look like they've come home to roost but he was a very interesting type of prospect like he was a three-pitch guy now now uh davy's a four-pitch guy i think they're very very good pitching prospects both i think severino was a better one but davy's a really good pitching prospect in his own right like when severino was coming up it was at the same time guys like giolito and glasnow were coming up and he was mentioned in the same kind of circles as them as a guy who could be a true number one I haven't heard true number one yet on Davey, but we'll see. He's still, he's still growing. Josh Norris, associate editor for Baseball America, our guest here on the pregame show. We'll jump you down just the two more levels, and we'll get you out of here. You haven't seen, I don't believe you've seen the, the Tampa Tarpons this year, but a guy that has had a resurgence, and I'm wondering if you've heard any whispers of updates on this guy. Dermis Garcia, whose numbers early in the season would make you think, okay, he's just off to a good start. But it seems that he's maintained some of these numbers, maybe despite a higher strikeout rate. He seems to be an exciting prospect who's maybe getting back onto the radar. So I wonder, from your perspective, what do you know, what are you hearing about Garcia down in Tampa? I mean, the numbers are better, and they're certainly very... He won the uh, the home run derby in the Florida State League All-Star game. But what I've heard from him, it's, it's not a whole lot different review wise he's got big big power he's got big big strikeouts and there needs to be a refinement in his approach to uh, allow him to make more contact when he gets to the upper levels it's been great this year at tampa but i think pitchers will find holes at least the scouts i talked to think pitchers will find holes as he continues to go up the ladder and we'll wrap with single a charleston you're heading down to catch Charleston in some capacity, catching them for the first time this year. What are your targets? Who are you looking to see? Who excites you that you're going to see from that River Dogs team? Well, okay, this is the second time I've seen them, actually. Okay. I saw them. They came into Greensboro here briefly, and I saw a guy named Alexander Vizcayeno, who yes. I really like. He's you know exactly what the Yankees have in spades. He's a young, hard-throwing right-hander. He was up to 99 in the South Atlantic All-Star game the other day, although he got hit pretty hard. He's uh, you know up to 97 as a regular starter with you know, plus changeup and the curveball is getting a little bit better too. The breaking ball is getting a little bit better and he's got every he's got the makings of another one of these Yankees guys who jumps up a little harder, uh, jumps up a little higher under the national radar and starts making some noise. They got a guy named Luis Heel in that rotation who I will not get to see, but I saw last year who's got a big big fastball pretty decent changeup, and there's the, the curveball is improving. If it sounds like the same as Vizcaino, it's very similar. They got him for Jake Cave straight up last year, I think in the offseason, or two years ago, I guess, in the offseason. And he's been pretty good. 
they've got. I'm going to see Nolan Martinez, who was a big draft guy a few years ago. He's doubled injury issues. I'm going to see Rorancy Contreras, who they like a lot. And I'm going to see Luis Medina, who probably has the best stuff in the organization, but has never been able to unlock it. He's got you know an eight fastball, maybe a seven curveball, potentially a six changeup, but just has zero command. I'm also going to see their first round catcher from last year, Anthony Sigler, who notably taught himself Spanish to be able to work with pitchers better because there are a lot of them in baseball and a lot of them in the Yankee system. And the first start those two had together, Medina and Sigler, went really well. So I'm wondering if having a guy out there who's you know notably a, a really good makeup guy who can speak the language is going to help get Medina over whatever mental blocks he has right now and unlock the potential that he clearly has in his right arm. He's never been seriously injured. He has a clean delivery, and he has nasty stuff, but he walks a lot, and he gives up a lot of hits, which is, you know, obviously something you wouldn't expect for the stuff he has. And I think and one other guy to watch on that team is uh, outfielder Brandon Lockridge, who is not a high-profile guy coming into the year, but has made some waves, and evaluators are starting to open their eyes a little bit about him. He's a guy who can play some center field. I saw him rob a home run. He can hit for some power. He's an interesting young player. And, you know, he's not going to get a whole lot of credit just because this system is so stacked with pitchers, and, and he gets overshadowed sometimes on that team. Should we really be surprised that a guy that taught himself not only to switch hit but to switch throw as a catcher could also teach himself Spanish? I don't think I'm that surprised by that. No, I'm not either. It's, it's again, when people talk about him, they talk about the, the makeup that he has and how excellent it is all the way around. So I'm not surprised at what he does. Back inside a call away, and a big thanks to Josh Norris from Baseball America for being our guest just a moment ago. And now it's time to dive in the reports from around the system. Of course, Josh just gave us his personal take on what he's seen around the Yankees minor league system so far. But we've got our weekly reports from Matt Dean down in single A Charleston, high A Tampa with Nick Flamia, double A Trenton with John Moses, and triple A Scranton Wilkesbury with our very own Adam Marco. Matt Dean, take it away. With this look at the Charleston River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. The River Dogs have opened up their second half 1 and 2 in a visit to Hickory, North Carolina, a week after the River Dogs took care of business last Sunday but didn't get the help required to clinch the first half. Charleston had sat in first place for 41 consecutive days until the final 2 days of the half, and manager Julio Mascara says he hopes that his team will use that as fuel moving forward. Unfortunately, you know, we came up short, but you know what? It's like with all the players. Use that as a motivation going forward. You know, you know you were close. You know you were good enough to be in there. And, you know, things happen in this game a lot. You know, we got kind of cold towards the end, but every, I mean, every other team out there is trying to win ball game. And I told those guys, I said, when we come back out there for the second half, use it as a motivation, know how close you are, and know you can compete at that level, and let's go for it. The story over the last couple of weeks has undoubtedly been the addition of last year's Yankees first round pick, Anthony Siegler. The switch hitting catcher is certainly impressed with his performance on the field on both sides of the ball, but for Mascara, it's the maturity and leadership qualities that have also stood out for the recently turned 20-year-old. I think Anthony, you know, he's very, very mature for his age. He's got a lot, a lot of qualities behind the play. He does a really good job receiving. He's very athletic. He's competitive back there. He has shown me a lot in the last couple of weeks that he's been here. He's, he's unbelievable. His intensity in the game. And I think he takes charge. He goes out there about his business. He takes care of his pitchers. And he makes sure he's in sync with them all the time. 
With this look at the River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. With the Tarpons, I'm Nick Flamia. After starting off his season batting 321 in April, infielder Oswaldo Cabrera struggled in the month of May, batting just 153. The 20-year-old has since hit safely in 11 of his 16 games in which he's played in June, batting 293 in that span. Entering today, Cabrera's batting 326 over his last 11 games. I sat down with hitting coach Joe Migliaccio and asked him about Cabrera's up and down season. Um, he absolutely tore it up early on and I think got a little bit humbled with maybe scouting reports were coming out where he had holes and he just did an incredible job of working through that, having a consistent routine, sticking with what he knew he had to work on and you're seeing him come out of that. Um, something that we talk about all the time is like we're, we're not really worried about their average. We don't care about if a guy goes 0 for 10 and has this, you know, a, a air quote slump because maybe he hit those 10 balls really hard right at somebody. So for him, like we're just making sure that he's swinging at the pitches he needs to swing at and he's hitting them as hard as he possibly can, which he did get away from. And I think you, you see that with his numbers trending down during that slump. And now he's getting back to swinging at his pitches, swinging at strikes, uh, and he's hitting them really hard. I mean, he's one of the youngest players in the entire league, and he's doing he's doing incredible things. Um, the maturity he has, the way he carries himself, he doesn't act like a 20-year-old where most kids would goof around a lot or make jokes. Not saying like he doesn't he doesn't enjoy being out here, but he's truly a professional in how he carries himself, how he goes about his business. Um, and I think you're only going to see him continue to, to trend upwards and truly make a name for himself as he as he gets into his manhood, 22, 23, 24 years old. Uh, he's going to be really exciting to watch as he continues to, to mature. With the Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. Tuesday night this week saw the Thunder celebrate a first-half championship with a 6-0 win over the Richmond Flying Squirrels. And the Thunder got a historic performance from right-hander Davey Garcia in the win. A 15-strikeout game over six scoreless innings matched Adam Warren for the most strikeouts in a game in Trenton Thunder franchise history. Garcia pitched with an attitude on Tuesday night that outfielder Ben Ruta commented on after the win. The thing I love about him the most is not only does he have good stuff, but he attacks even. You see a lot of guys 0-2 and they kind of waste a pitch, throw it in the dirt. You know, then they then next thing you know it's 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, and it's kind of the scales are tipped back in the hitter's favor a little bit. And he's just 0-2, he's coming right after you. And it's, it's a pleasure to play defense behind too because the game is just, you're always ready because you know he's going to be in the zone. Garcia himself even had a sense that it could be a special night as told to us by defensive coach Raul Dominguez. He come out to the to the mound, he always thought like, okay, this is this is my last my last inning. And okay, that's another inning. The other ones that that's done. I'm gonna get this inning again. And that's that's his mentality between innings. He always trying to go to get that the next inning. Not happen all the time, but every time when he go to the bullpen he's trying to throw his pitches, he feel like okay, today have to be a, a special night, like like tonight. So that's why every time when he goes to the bullpen, he's thinking, okay, this is a special night for me, I'm going to get it. With the Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. With the Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. Season series finale against the Durham Bulls this afternoon at PNC Field. The Rail Riders and Bulls have met for the Governor's Cup title each of the last couple of seasons. Durham leads the set three wins to two losses so far with one game left to go. Scranton Wilkesbury carries a 43-29 and record into play today. A big part of their pitching staff this season has been right-handed reliever J.P. Fireisen. One of those names that not a lot of people are talking about, but they really should. Fire Eisen has a team-best 6-0 record. 
a 2.34 ERA, and has saved four games and five chances. Perhaps a little bit down on the pecking order when it comes to Yankees possibilities this year behind Joe Harvey and Stephen Tarpley. Fire Eisen truly making a name for himself in 2019. Just the fact this year uh, my arm's healthy, I feel really good, and my body's feeling really good. Um, and then just having three pitches to use, uh, having a fastball to, to uh, attack guys with, and then uh, a changeup and a breaking ball to put them away with. Are you using your changeup and breaking ball any differently this year, or have you worked on specifically developing one of those two during the offseason? I mean, with my changeup and my breaking ball, uh, they were kind of just uh, subpar pitches for me last year, and uh, this year I've been able to use them in, in counts where I've been behind to, to get back into counts and, and then uh, use them also when I'm getting ahead of guys to put them away with. With Scranton Wilkesbury, I'm Adam Marco. And that is going to put a wrap on this week's episode of A Call Away. Thank you so much for making us part of your week yet again. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Adam Giardino, G-I-A-R-D-I-N-O. And take a listen to Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders broadcast all season long with Adam Marco and me. We've got pregame coverage every game beginning 30 minutes before first pitch on the Rail Riders Radio Network, the TuneIn Radio app and on the MILB First Pitch app as well. Big thanks to our guests, J.P. Fireisen and Josh Norris, and thanks to all the broadcasters up and down the system for sending in their reports this week. A big week ahead for Scranton Wilkes-Barre as they approach the All-Star break, but they've got plenty of IL North Divisional play coming up. Lots of ground to gain or lose on their big lead in the IL North just over the midway point of the season. If we don't talk to you on the radio broadcast at some point this week, we will talk to you again next week on A Call Away.